Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Monday, March 29th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and when I say it's Monday, I mean it's technically Monday, but it's essentially late Sunday nights, 1.30 a.m. Eastern. Good Lord, I've been in New York on CBS Sports Network all night. Norlander has been in Indianapolis at Sweet 16 Games all day and night. Now that we're done and all of Sunday's games have been completed, we are here to talk through the second day of the Sweet 16, and we will talk about all four games, promise, but there's only one place to start. Final score, UCLA 88, Alabama 78 in OT. The 11th-seeded Bruins, the first four Bruins, are headed to the Elite Eight. Hashtag saying the court, hashtag nail can stay, dead leg, what was it like? To be inside Hinkle and watch the greatest coach in UCLA history upset the Crimson Tide. Did you see my tweet? <laughs> I, I, I maybe I don't maybe. Well, I, it was it was amazing, and as I uh, as I got myself out of that building, I dropped a tweet that was basically UCLA is the first team since VCU in 2011 to start in the first four and make it to the Elite Eight. Mick Cronin is the greatest coach in UCLA history, and there are plenty of people that follow me that don't listen to this podcast. Why you would ever do that is beyond me, but <laughs> I said, all right, time to go back to Banker's Life. I'm never reading the replies because the first three people <laughs> were like, what are you talking about, dude? There's a guy named Wooden. Yeah, I know there's a guy named Wooden. He didn't do this. He didn't start in the first four. He did not beat second-seeded Alabama. He didn't win in Hinkle Fieldhouse, I'll tell you that nope. much. And he nope. did not get UCLA to the Elite Eight under these circumstances. How about this, man? I Listen, I'll tell you what. We're getting to USC in a bit. I was ready to concede something. I was ready to concede that was not going to be Andy and Amanda Enfield and Nell Wooden Court. But that's not the case because USC is still in this tournament too, GP. UCLA is unreal. Here's my big-picture takeaway on them, okay? Because I, I, I haven't seen too much of this, and maybe we'll see more of it on Monday, but let's set the tone, okay? Mick Cronin had a player who very easily, in my opinion, could have been like a top three, top five point guard in America if he had come to UCLA like, like he originally pledged to do, Dacian Nix. Instead, he went to the G League. And then, a few games into the season, they lose Chris Smith, who is their best player. So they lose that, they get into the tournament, they get into the first four, they overcome Tom Izzo in Michigan State, then they look impressive in the first round when they go up and they knock out BYU. They continue to move along. And then in this very game, it wasn't even just that they got to overtime in heartbreaking fashion, you can handle all that stuff. They lost Johnny Juzang, who has been like a top three, top four player in this tournament. He fouls out 60 all with like 226 to go, and they still win. They get 23 points in overtime after only scoring 25 in the second half period. Amazing stuff by UCLA. Honestly, like it is, uh, I, I had to rank the, the Elite Eight teams for 
for this for the site, and you'll see that on Monday. And I think I put UCLA fifth overall. I tried to do a combination of like accomplishments in the tournament versus how good I think the teams are. UCLA has undeniably been amazing with this, and it knocked off your beloved Tide. Because of that, you just lost a Final Four team, my man. I did lose a Final Four team. I'm down to two. I still have the Zags and the Bears. Um, you're just going to act like Jalen Hill having to not be on the team for personal issues isn't a, isn't something that d- deserves a bullet point in your list of things Mick the Great has overcome this season? It's Listen, that's a, that's a, that's another one. He is Mick the Great, by the way. He, it's just, Parrish, it's, it's truly fun, it's phenomenal. The, the, the programs that we seem to just stumble into – we're giving all the success to Baylor, UCLA. We don't, we don't make the rules. This is just how it, it winds up uh, turning out here. So I'm just I'm I'm blown away by what UCLA has done, and in doing so, Pac-12 obviously has three of the eight teams. Only second time ever in conference history, three have made it this far into the tournament. 2001 was the other year. It's only a matter of time before UMass Lowell's in the Elite Eight. That's coming. <laughs> That's coming. Based on the track record of this podcast. UMass Lowell, the Fighting Elvis Presleys, will be in the Elite Eight someday. That's coming. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Beyond it just being an incredible story, and it is, and were you being serious or not serious by saying you haven't heard that? Because I have mentioned Dacia Nix. I haven't heard it, no. Maybe it's been out there, but I just like big picture what they've overcome. Uh, you know, no, I've been. I've talked about it every day on TV. Every I'm, single I'm day. Like, I'm not watching you. <laughs> I'm at the games. I'm at the games. I'm doing HQ hits. I'm coming. I'm coming back to the room. I'm filing a column at 1:15 in the morning. So again, on the same wavelength. Had no idea you were mentioning this stuff. Though. Yeah, no. Uh, they, they didn't enroll their best prospect, Dacia Nix. They lost their best player, Chris Smith. They lost Jalen Hill, and it doesn't matter why, because the head coach is Mick Mick Cronin, and so now UCLA is back in the Elite Eight for the first time since 2008. That team went to the Final Four and then uh, got murdered by the Memphis Tigers, NIT champion Memphis Tigers. It wasn't just a great story with UCLA. It was a great game. Like, how fun was that? Let's just start there for a second. Fun game. Uh, Fantastic game. Really good energy. I mentioned this as well. Yeah, like Hinkle was at 25% capacity. It was still an outrageously good environment. I don't know. It, there's probably reasons why the NCAA never wants to have the tournament in Hinkle because it had not been there since 1940, I believe. Let me tell you why. Let's stop for a second. H- how many seats does it have? I think it's at like 9,200. Okay, that's problem number one. How many luxury boxes does it have? It's got, <laughs> it's got I think it's got something called the bird's nest. Okay, well, then that, you're not getting NCAA tournament games ever again. Oh, man, it's such a good environment, too. Like, I, I, I was like, ah, you're right. But if the if there was ever, just get a first four in there or something. Sorry, Dayton. Let's let's go every other year because it's a phenomenal venue to hold the tournament in. And even at twenty five percent capacity, the environment was was terrific. Alabama coming back, oh, you know, hitting the three that you got Alex Reese, who had not scored in the entire game. That twenty six footer. I mean, that was a real jolt. I thought it was a true buzzer beater. Turns out it technically wasn't. There was a few tenths of a second left on the clock, but. Um, 
It's it's right there. It's it, you could make the argument maybe you thought Arkansas Oral Roberts was better, but those are the two top games of the weekend. And to me, that's a, Bama UCLA was a top three game of the tournament to this point. And then it weirdly ended in OT when UCLA took the huge you know hit to the gut, and it didn't matter. They just they just got him out of there. They got him out of the paint, sent Bama home, uh, which was an OT session that I didn't see, and I don't think anyone saw coming playing out the way that it did. No, because we talked about it on CBS Sports Network tonight. The most famous, oh, my God, why didn't you foul up three in the final seconds is, I think you would agree with me, 2008 title game, Chalmers for the tie. This had the potential to be on the list um, because Alabama got a clean look. And this wasn't even one of those where, you know, there's 13 seconds left on the clock and and Alabama's inbounding. So you've got those awkward moments where you're trying to figure out, is it too early? You know, let's let it get under six. Now are we worried about a shooting motion? Like Alabama was inbounding with under five seconds to play. This should have been easy. And I don't know if you saw Mick's game, but he was asked, like, was there any discussion about fouling? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, listen, I'm a foul up three guy. He said, but... When we came out of the huddle, I knew they knew we were about to foul. And so now what I'm worried about is Andy, uh, Andy, is Nate Oates telling his players, um, when you catch it, get into a shooting emotion immediately because they're going to foul you immediately. So we decided to switch it up. Let's, let's not foul. Let's just double there and not foul because they're expecting the foul. And then, of course, the double, easy pass, wide open look, here we are. And so he had, um, you know, he had a reason for for not fouling up three. Um, but it, it it didn't work out. And I guess let's stop here for a second real quick. What is your belief on that? Because my thing would be that my counter to what Mick said would be like, okay, they knew you were going to foul, and so you're worried about the shooting motion. Um, a, you probably still get the foul before the shooting motion and B is it really the worst thing in the world? If you foul uh, an okay free throw shooter when you're up three in the final seconds, like what that guy's not going to making three free throws. I mean, I know he might, but certainly with the way Alabama was shooting free throws in this one, I just, I, I know that the worst thing that can happen to you, people say is you foul a three point shooter, but I've never necessarily believed it's, it's absolutely the worst thing that can happen to you. Cause you asking somebody in a pressure pack situation to go up there and knock three down in a row. And that's a very hard thing to do. Or you foul him and he hits it and then he's got one to win it. So there that's, that's yeah. the other thing that scares them. But and I, I actually I I kind of agree with what Mick was saying there particularly because of the because of the specific opponent he tried to adjust to it and Alex Reese I mean he's only played in 37% of Alabama's minutes this season he's a 28% three-point shooter now he he has gotten up one you know his his season ends with 124 three-point attempts and that bucket fallen I mean first of all I thought that I thought the weekend needed it and the tournament needed it like this was a just okay sweet 16 weekend all things considered that this game and that ending in regulation really gave it a good old jolt there that was fantastic but I didn't I didn't hate the um the execution there, particularly because he was probably anticipating something a little bit funky from Nate out of the out of the timeout there, and you got a twenty eight percent three point shooter shooting from twenty six feet. 
you're gonna t- like. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I hear you. Like, and, and by the way, if it sounded like I was second guessing the greatest coach in UCLA history, I didn't mean for it to come across that way. I was just sort of talking in general. Like, is the worst thing in the world fouling that guy because you know he's got to still go make three free throws, and there aren't a lot of college players that are going to be able to step up and, and do that. Either way, this was my larger point. The most famous example of you should have fouled up three at the end of regulation, 2008 title game. Uh, Memphis didn't. Chalmers for the tie. You go into overtime. And I know that in that moment, you're saying, hey, listen, we're still in this. We're tied. We're tied with five minutes to play. Let's go win the game. But if you were in that building that night in San Antonio, the game was over. Memphis's heart was ripped out. They were not winning that game once it went to overtime. And I say that only to say this. It was wildly impressive the way UCLA came out in overtime after having essentially the same thing happened to them in even more dramatic fashion, even if the stage wasn't quite as big. UCLA took control in the overtime, and the extra five minutes weren't even really competitive, and they were operating without their best player, Johnny Juzang. I mean, that was that, – that was, I didn't know what to expect in overtime. UCLA winning by 10 in overtime is not, not even on the list anywhere. No, that was – surprising and also the foul shooting uh, I'll credit our buddy Bo- Jeff Borzello who cited ESPN stats and info for this although it's not a it's not a great nugget he says Alabama going 11 for 25 from the line was the worst foul shooting performance in the tournament since Kansas in 03 against Q's in the title game when it was 12 of 30 but it's a minimum of 25 foul shot attempts which is that's too high of a number there but regardless 11 of 25 for a team that was Bama was 72%, 3 percent or something like that going into this game. It subsequently dropped as a team down to uh, 70.8, I believe. That was just uh, undeniably a, a, a killer for the Tide who should have been able to hold off UCLA after making a really strong second-half run, but it just didn't happen there. The foul shots were a major deal. Uh, her, you know, her, for Those two final foul shots, which led to the dramatic ending, by the way, the fact that Herb Jones missed both of those, I was generally surprised. Now he is set. He was a 72% foul shooter going into the game. He dropped a percentage point after this one that I thought he was going to go one or two. And then we were going to OT the way we got to it was definitely the roundabout way, the dramatic way, I guess the preferred way there, but man, oh man, I'm just glad we got a really good game. And by the way, UCLA now, because it's still in the field, it is the team in the field with the most recent national championship. That's in 95, and actually it played Arkansas that year, so the two most recent, uh, I I think, I guess. No, Gonzaga made a title game more recently, but isn't that something? And then as I'm sure you might have realized, every single team left is coached by someone who has not won a national championship. We will have a new, we will have a first-time coach win the title eventually. Right, and like that free-throw shooting, you're right. Alabama shoots above 70% from, from, from the line. Uh, 11 of 25, 44%. How about this? You go 12 of 25, you win the game in regulation. I mean, you, you shoot 48% from the free throw line and you win the game in regulation. I mean, that's the part. I don't know if you saw Nate Oates um, post game. I, I see all these because we carry them on CBS Sports Network. So we're just sitting there watching them in studio. And he was just, you know, really, really down. And of course, he's getting asked about, you know, the free throw shooting. And he said, I, you know, I don't have any explanation for you. He said, I personally believe that free throw shooting is always mental because there are no variables. You're stepping to the line. It's the same distance. You're the only one there. They throw you the ball. You can do whatever with it you want. And then you, 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 you shoot a free throw. The only variable is the pressure that you put on yourself or the pressure that the moment places on you. 
And, you know, so when you shoot poorly, it's one thing if you're, you know, like a not good, awful three, uh, free throw shooting team. But like we, we shoot above 70% from the line. And then in this one, we shot 44%. Like, I, I, I wish I had an answer for you. And, it, 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 you know, I was talking to Steve Lapis, former Villanova coach in studio. And, you know, like the end, the, you know, when it's all over, he just said it just hits you. Like, what the, that's it? It's over now? And he's, you know, one of the things we have talked about is that it, it, it sucks no matter what, but it especially is awful when there's something so glaring that you usually do that you didn't do that, that cost you. And for Alabama, they'll have to live with that for a while. 44% for the free throw line in a sweet 16 game that, that, that was in overtime. That's a, that is a colossal missed opportunity, but it's a missed opportunity that UCLA took advantage of. So the Bruins move on to the elite eight and they will be playing Michigan in Tuesday's Elite Eight, and that's because the Wolverines cruised past Florida State on Sunday, 76-58. We're going to get into that next, but first, let me make sure you know how crucial it is that you download the CBS Sports app. These NCAA tournament games, they're on multiple channels. It can get confusing, but it doesn't have to be if you've got the CBS Sports app. You can get it on your connected TV. You can get it on your phone, and when you do, you're going to see every tournament game available to watch, whether it's on CBS or March Madness Live. The app is a gateway to all of the action, which is why you need to go download the CBS Sports app now to make sure you never miss a minute of the rest of this NCAA tournament. So we've Already talked about UCLA. What we haven't done yet is talk about UCLA's next opponent, Michigan, which cruised past Florida State on Sunday, 76-58. Were you surprised the Seminoles were just never really in the game? Yes, genuinely surprised. I mean, I had FSU in the Elite Eight. You did as well, right? Am I remembering that correctly? I actually think I had... Here's the thing. I think I had in my initial bracket, I had Michigan, Alabama in the Elite Eight. And then when we had to redo it, I said, you know what? I'm going Florida State over Michigan. And so I just, I got it wrong. Okay. There we go. By the way, oh, by the way, I've got, I've got, I've got an expert picks update. Didn't have it last night. I got it now. Oh, oh, that sounds convenient. You're, You're sitting there at 29 and 30 against the spread. Who who's one game above five hundred now, my buddy? That's oh, right, no. thirty oh, and twenty nine. No. Oh, That's no. right, thirty and twenty nine. Straight up, by the way, right now tournament picks right in a straight up. You're thirty five and twenty four. I'm thirty six and twenty three. So I got you by one, barely. Shouts to Chip Patterson and Kyle Boone, thirty nine and twenty straight up against uh, straight up on picks right now. So that's where we are at. I've got five of the elite eight teams. How many you got? I don't know. I don't even know anymore. Okay. We just, we flip rolls from that, from a night ago. Whatever. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Five out of eight. Oh, I'm doing all right. USC, Adam in the, Adam I know, the I know I've got, uh, I've got two final fours. I definitely had Arkansas. I don't even know who's still playing. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I, de- I, in- I initially had Michigan in the elite eight. I definitely no, had Ar- this initially, none of this initially. No, no. <laughs> I feel like initially I did some stuff. I feel like my I feel like initially I did some things well. Okay. I don't know. I give uh, up. Hashtag initially. I give up. I love just, it. <laughs> just I give up. You're too good. Um I am surprised that that, that that it was this easy though. Now I had a little bit of, initially 
I had Florida. I, th- I had Florida State winning this thing. I was I was way wrong. C- credit. Listen, c- credit to Michigan. A, a bit of news, by the way. Juwan Howard did tell Tracy Wolfson that Isaiah Livers is out for the rest of the tournament. So that was sort of a presumption. It just wasn't official. It is now official. If Michigan's going to win a national championship, it's going to have to do it with arguably its best player not in uniform. But this team continues to be excellently coached. Michigan has more NCAA tournament wins than any program since 2013, which is something of a convenient cutoff. I get it, but it gets brought up every time I go on HQ. I think it's at 17 wins now, I think, in that span. And again, just seamless transition from Beeline to Howard. Uh, we are at the point now where like, the Beeline stuff, as, as preface, needs to go away. This is Howard's team in full, and they continue to look wonderful on offense, Borderline dominant on defense at some at some points. Some of that is also FSU just looking lackluster there. But but credit to the Wolverines who got just really it was a balanced effort when I when I watched them uh, from the perch there in Bankers Life Fieldhouse. You know there were just little stretches where okay, Shondi Brown, good on you. Mike Smith had a couple of big shots. Franz Wagner was terrific all around. He went for 13, 10, and five. Uh, Dickinson had fourteen. So. Uh, Michigan remains, you know, in the field, and so the Big Ten still has a representative here, and it assured us that we get three one seeds into a regional final. One of the reasons I think I picked Florida State to win the game after initially picking Michigan to win the game is that um, Florida State is typically terrific defensively inside the arc. They were um, ranked 12th in the country in two-point defensive field goal percentage uh, heading into this game, according to Ken Palm. Um, even after this game, teams still only shoot 44.5% from two against Florida State. Michigan was 23 of 48 from two, 54.2%. They had 50 points in the paint. It was insane. 50 points in the paint. Hunter Dickinson had 14. Brandon Johns got 14. And then Florida State just, they couldn't score. So if you're going to, Michigan's going to get 50 points in the paint, shoot 54% inside the arc, and you can't score, you got big problems. So, you know, Leonard Hamilton long ago established himself um, as one of the consistent winners in this sport. And, you know, obviously great recruiters in this sport. Um, and I'm sure the Seminoles will be really good again next season, or at least I, I assume that they will, because that's usually a safe assumption. Um, but, you know, I, there's a whole lot of people I feel awful for that the 2020 NCAA tournament was never played. Anthony Grant, Obi Toppin, you know, that, that, that you know, honestly, Bill Self, who would have been the favorite to win it and, and get his second national title. But on that list is, is Leonard Hamilton because, you know, I think he had a team good enough to get to the Final Four this season. Just obviously not going to happen. But he had one last season, too, and they never got the opportunity to do it. And I would hate, like, it wouldn't keep me up at night every night maybe some nights I would hate for Leonard to retire without getting a final four. And I know he doesn't need that uh, to validate him, his own greatness, but in this world, people describe you as a, Oh, that's a final four coach. Like that becomes part of the way you get introduced. Shaka smart as a final four coach. I, I would like Leonard Hamilton to be a final four coach. And now there's one more season where he's not going to get there. Last thought on this. This is a little surprising to me. Uh, Ken Palm put out his percentages to win the title with the eight teams remaining. Gonzaga clearly uh, a top and with a comfortable margin. 39.3% for Gonzaga. But get this. Houston's at 18.5%. Baylor is third at 17.1%. And then Michigan is fourth 
at 13.7%. There's a little bit of gap then, and then when you get to USC, and then there's actually another gap for Arkansas and UCLA, and then Oregon State's uh, really bringing up the caboose there. Uh, Michigan a bit lower, and I think he's probably factoring in no livers into that, but to have uh, not only the uh, one seed be in the fourth spot with not all four one seeds available, GP, but also uh, a Michigan team that is really bunched up against Baylor and Houston as well. It's that order because those are, that's how it breaks down in the Kempom rankings right now, so it would make sense. But I just thought the percentages were a little interesting, especially in light of them winning against Florida State the way they did. Sportsline did the same thing tonight, and the Gonzaga percentage is a little higher. It's Gonzaga win the championship 47.2%, followed by Baylor at 22.6%, followed by Houston at 15.2, Michigan at 10.8, Arkansas at 2.2, USC at 1.3, UCLA 0.6, and Oregon State 0.2% beaver fever. Yeah, beaver fever. We got a uh, yeah, we've got it's 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 a it's a fun elite eight in terms of a lot of a lot of high quality team. like we could still have a final four with three ones and a two, but you do have UCLA and Oregon State still lingering there, like potentially giving us, you know, certainly an unexpected intruder into that Final Four. So the first game on Sunday involved the nation's top-ranked team. That's Gonzaga. And the Zags look like the nation's top-ranked team. They pound a Creighton. 83-65 just dominated from about the 15-minute mark on. At what point, be honest, be honest, dead leg, at what point in the second half did you say, all right, time to go? Uh, with I Well, first of all, I mean the the days and the hours uh they're getting crazy. This is when this is when the Indiana stuff started picking up. We'll save that for another time, but Indiana now has a coach, it's Mike Woodson, but all this stuff was going on. So I lost about I want to say like 12 to 14 minutes of real time where um between tracking it and sending a few texts, checking in with uh, with our editors and everything like that, I just looked up and I was like, "This game is done." I was like, "This game is over." I was like, "Thank God!" By the way, like Gonzaga just making it easy on us. Drew Timmy uh, was awesome yet again. There, uh, what do you want me to say? Like the, the, Gonzaga continues to just roll over teams. Uh, Drew Timmy for the second straight game was the leading scorer for the Bulldogs. Creighton just did not have the firepower whatsoever there. So uh, if you've got any uh, tasty stats you want to drop on the listeners, feel free. But this was drama-free, and I I walked out before it was done. I want to say say four and a half minutes left in the game. I was like, this is over. Not even worth it. And then I bounced along. But, uh, yeah, Gonzaga, still, I'm still waiting for them to be threatened. And they might be threatened, and we'll get to this at the end of the pod. They might be threatened in the next round, but I never thought that Creighton was going to uh, to threaten here. And for for what feels like the, you know, the 19th time in 20 games, Gonzaga has covered the spread with ease. Yeah, so I went to bed last night at like 5 a.m. and then got up to a barrage of text, mess, text messages from our friend Seth Davis. I, know. <laughs> I love what he does play by. He gets up earlier than us, it feels like. I love what he does play by play on the, on the podcast. So I wake up to like six text messages from Seth, which I love. And um, I woke up earlier than I wanted. Like go to bed at 5 and wake up at 9.30. And I said, okay, this will be fine. I'll, I'll, I'll get up. I'll watch the Tigers win the NIT convincingly. And then I'll watch Gonzaga Creighton until it gets out of hand because it's going to. And I have to go get tested today. 
And so, but testing cuts off at the broadcast center at like four o'clock. I didn't have to be until later. So I was like, when Gonzaga Creighton gets out of hand, I'll go get tested, come back to the hotel, and put my head on a pillow because we had a gap after that game before the next game started. And then I'll catch up on sleep and I'll be fine. On my walk to the studio, to the broadcast center, to get another thing shoved up my nose, start getting text messages about Mike Woodson. Start getting text messages about this is done. By the time I get back to the room, can't put your head on the pillow. You got to write an Indiana column. And so, and then the the, the day gets away from you, you know, and then the the day gets away from you. So, uh, so we're here, but tonight in studio, I actually said something close to what you just said, which is like, what I, I can say the same thing I've been saying all year. You know, I can just keep going through the bullet points, but they, they are what they are at this point. And they shot 59.6% from the field in a sweet 16 game against a big East opponent. I mean, it's ridiculous. 37.5% from three. Drew Timmy was 10 of 14 from the field. 22.6 rebounds, four assists. Andrew Nimhart, seven of nine from the field. 17 points, eight assists, four rebounds. And what's fascinating when you watch them, and I really do think casual fans are just now really watching them. You know, like they're not staying up watching West Coast Conference games. You just hear Gonzaga's grapes. You let your, you see the highlights. People put your eyes on it too much. Um, what, what's remarkable when you watch them is that they're not just out there being incredible shot makers. That's not who they are. They they can they can make shots, but they're not just a team full of incredible shot makers. They have the number like that Villanova team that was awesome offensively a few years ago, won the national title. Like they were just bombing you from all over the place. That is not what Gonzaga does. They can do it, but that's not what they just get easy shots over and over and over again. Whether it's in transition because they got three guards with size who can handle the ball, whether it's just getting it to Drew Timmy who can't be guarded one-on-one, at least not until maybe Evan Mobley tries to guard him one-on-one. They just get easy shots over and over again. Everything is open because they know how to play with each other. They enjoy playing with each other. They don't seem to care whether it's Timmy getting 30 or Kisper getting 25 or Jalen Suggs getting 22. They're just really, really, really excellent. Now they're 29-0 with 28 double-digit wins. And when I tweeted that earlier today, somebody said, somebody replied, West Virginia is going to be a great uh, answer to a trivia time someday many years from now if this thing continues to go this way, which I don't actually think it will. I don't think Gonzaga will win every game in the Cincinnati tournament by double digits. It's possible, but I don't think they will. But but like if they do, in 2021, Gonzaga won its first national title with a 32-0 and record featuring 31 double-digit wins. Who was the team that played them to single digits? Your answer will forever be, if it goes that way, um, it'll be West Virginia. So the last game on Sunday, that was USC, Oregon. We're going to get to that one next. But first, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. So the final game on Sunday was USC-Oregon, Pac-12 matchup, and like most of the Sweet 16 games, unfortunately, it was not close. USC 82, Oregon 68, Trojan shot 57.4% from the field, 58.8% from three. How good was Evan Mobley's dunk in person? It was nasty. It was like the, one of the final three play. Actually, I think once he, I actually think once he did when he dunked it, I was like, I'm done. I'm going. I'm going to get ready to uh, to do this HQ hit outside. And oh, by the way, <laughs> you know USC fans just plastered coming out of Banker's Life trying to run into the HQ shot. That's always fun. But I, <laughs> I kept my composure. I I don't think they were picked up by my mind. They were definitely there, though. Like, Dane, who does uh, field operations with us, who you know well, he's like, he's he's literally like off-camera, off-shot, making sure these people don't run into my shot there. Uh, but, uh, but a wonderfully fun HQ experience, nonetheless. And USC made it easy on me. Love that. I'm all for, by the way, the last game of the night being decided well in advance. Just makes it easier on everyone here. You can speak to that as well, sitting in the studio. Uh, we love the blowouts as the final tip. And, and and here we go. For the second straight time, USC not only gets by Oregon in double digits and in convincing fashion, but just like the last time these two teams met, uh, it wins by a 14-point margin. The last time it was 72-58. This time it's 82-68. to and what else do you want me to say? Evan Mobley continues to be awesome. It was actually a wonderful game for Isaiah White, who had uh, the best game of his season overall. And, and I do want to mention something quick here about USC. When I talked with Andy Enfield back when at Mohegan Sun, we chatted for about 10 minutes or so, you know, 80 minutes before tip whenever they were going to play. I guess it would have been BYU. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It doesn't matter. Anyway, he was telling me about how he had uh, optimism but, like, real uncertainty about his team because there were so many new pieces. And I don't think a lot of people realize, like, obviously the Mobley brothers who were recruited there, father on staff, they've received all the attention and rightfully so, particularly Evan, because hello, he's fantastic and has zero business dropping out of the top three of this year's NBA draft. But so many of the other players on the roster that are getting like Isaiah White played at Utah Valley, uh, Tajidi, this is actually his third school he's been on. Um, Up and down the roster, there have been transfer after transfer and they really did out of necessity have to build a team through just a bunch of moving parts. And so the point is, Enfield just didn't know how reliable they would be defensively and how long it might take everyone to come together. And he didn't have a true point guard the way that they had in recent seasons. And it's a phenomenal, it really is a phenomenal coaching job, Parrish. Uh, for them to get to this point is. It's incredible. It's USC's first Elite Eight since 2001. It's the fourth time ever the Trojans have made it this far, and they've filled out. Uh, they've filled out. You know, <laughs> this this tournament of destiny here for the Pac-12. It's it's. It, listen, I I didn't think Oregon was going to lose the way it did. I was genuinely surprised by that. But credit to the Pac-12 for having a 12 and two record, 
It's the third most wins in one NCAA tournament in the league's history. It won 13 in 2001 and 1997. It's got a big hurdle to get to, and we'll get to that with our picks there. But 10 of these victories have come by double digits from the Pac-12, uh, and eight of the wins have come against major conference opponents here. It's, it's, been, it's been a huge, huge, huge march for the Pac-12. And I mean that both like in terms of us talking about it, people discussing it, TV segments, columns, all that. In terms of... NCAA units, which I get like everyday people don't really care that much about. This stuff actually transforms the a conference that frankly needs it and was, you know, swallowed up in debt with its old Pac-12 network and paying all, you know, millions and millions in rent in uh, in greater San Francisco. And, and Larry Scott had kind of botched a lot of stuff with that. The, ter- the teams winning all these games and these units is millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's a, it has set a league record that will actually help sustain its programs, not just men's and women's basketball, but across the conference there. Three teams in the Elite Eight, Second time ever in league history, and USC was mighty impressive, and in doing so, I think gives us at least some true intrigue more than any other opponent yet for Gonzaga in the next round. Okay, so these Elite Eight games uh, featuring the teams that played in the Sweet 16 on Sunday will obviously be played on Tuesday. I've got the point spread, dead leg. Are you ready to pick them? Yeah, let me guess. I haven't seen them yet. Uh, yes, I'm ready to pick, but let me let me guess them here. So what, we, what one are we going first? Go Gonzaga USC first. Good, because that's the one I'm most curious on. So Gonzaga. And let me just set it up so everybody understands what we're doing okay. here. It's going to be Gonzaga against USC in the Elite Eight of the West Region on Tuesday night. That's the early game, seven fifteen Eastern, four fifteen Pacific. Gonzaga and USC. Then it'll be Michigan against UCLA in the Elite Eight of the East Region on Tuesday night at nine fifty seven Eastern. Both games will be on TBS. That is not America's most watched network, but it is a network. This is the number one two-point offense in the history of college basketball right now, Gonzaga. It has made 63.9% of its two-point shots, according to Ken Palm. It's the number one two-point percentage defense this season in USC. Weirdly enough, I checked this right before we podcasted, USC has the worst, best Two-point defense in the Ken Palm era. They are holding opponents to 41.5% on their two-point shots. That is the highest percentage for any top-rated defense inside the arc since Ken Palm started tracking his data. I'm going to say, I was curious if this would be a double-digit spread. I don't think it will. I will go official line as we record this, Gonzaga minus 9.5. How close am I? You're 0.5 close. It's Gonzaga minus 9. So for the first time, we've got action inside uh, single digits here. Um, Drew Timmy versus Evan Mobley is fan friggin tastic. Cannot wait to watch this, particularly because of the way Timmy just played the past two games. In addition to Mobley, I do have this in my bracket, and I have Gonzaga moving on. I'm going. <laughs> oh man, I will take. I will take Gonzaga to win, and I will take it to narrowly cover. They're going to cover, but I'm going to say. I'm going to say like 78-67 pair, something along those lines. Until I see a team get inside that that line against the Bulldogs, I'm not going to pick against them to do it, so give me GU to cover. Obviously, I've got Gonzaga winning the game. Uh, I've got Gonzaga winning the national championship. But I do think this is an interesting challenge because, first off, uh, USC is up to number six at, at Kimpom now. That makes them, based on the the current rankings, the best team that Gonzaga has played all season. 
I was right behind USC. I think everybody knows Gonzaga can score, and everybody knows Gonzaga's got the best offense in America, but it is not the best three-point shooting team in the country. It's a good three-point shooting team, like right around 37 38%. They're good, but they're not elite, and they don't want to kill you from there. They want to kill you inside the arc with transition buckets and Drew Timmy. And as you have accurately pointed out, you are suddenly running into the best two-point defensive field goal percentage team in America and maybe the best rim protector in America and one of the great talents in college basketball in Evan Mobley. As I've said many times, sometimes we get these elite prospects in college and they're great prospects, but they're not really great players. Not yet. They're great prospects, not great players. Evan Mobley is a great prospect who is also a great player. Pac-12 player of the year, Pac-12 freshman of the year, Pac-12 defensive player of the year. Drew Timmy is amazing. All-American. This could get difficult for him. Evan's a little bigger. Mm-hmm. Evan is an elite rim protector. Um, not many people can guard Drew Timmy one-on-one. And maybe nobody can. But I, if anybody can, it might be Evan Mobley. And so, Gonzaga to win. I think Timmy is probably fine. But if we look up with 12 minutes to go and we go, man, this is a little harder than we thought it was going to be, that that would not be the biggest surprise to me. I could see the Zags getting – I think USC can play with them. I think USC can play with them. I'll take Gonzaga to win, but USC to come. Okay, I like it. How about this? Shouts to Bart Torvik. He can sort his uh, stats by by date. So since the start of the NCAA tournament, these have been the two most efficient teams. USC has been the best team in the tournament from an efficiency standpoint. Uh, Sixth best offense, second best defense. Gonzaga's had the third best offense, 15th best defense uh, across the sport since then. USC Gonzaga, this is one and two. Opponent considered, uh, predicted metrics. It's it's an awesome, awesome. And this is the first tip on Tuesday, by the way. Um, and I, I saw some people complaining about this. You have Michigan in the late window. It's They're going to take it every time. I don't know what to yeah, say. Like, so Michigan late, but, is you know. a big, big brand. And as we talked about many times, greatness is not what is excellent for television. Big brands. is That's what's great for, for television. And Michigan is among the biggest brands we have in college athletics. Like that, that, that was always going to, Michigan was always going to be in the better window if Michigan were playing, if it was playing on Tuesday night. I agree with you. Um, all right, let me guess this line. Uh, th- there's no way this line's, I would be, I can't say no way, but I'm going to say this is, yeah, I'll say it's double digits. Give me Michigan minus 10 and a half. How close am I? You are not okay. respecting Mick Cronin at all. Not, it's not my opinion. I'm trying to project what the odds makers are setting this at. Okay, so it's single digits. How how badly did I miss the mark here? Uh, it's Michigan minus seven and a half. All right, that's okay. That's uh, that that makes sense. Okay, I will. Man, Michigan's look good. I don't know if I can. Do I dare pick against Nick the Great in this spot? I don't. In terms of spread, I'm I'm going to take Michigan to win the game. I have to take Michigan to win the game. But UCLA, Johnny Juzang. I, I mean, I, I the draft at this point, the draft's going to go like this. You know, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, 
Johnny Juice. <laughs> he's been he's been unreal. Jaime Hawkins not that far behind. Jaime Hawkins going fifth. <laughs> he might be going. He might be going fifth. I will take. I will take Michigan to get to another Final Four, be the Big Ten saving grace. I will take UCLA inside the number. So hell, I don't know something like seventy-two, sixty-six. Wolverines win. Yeah, it's hard for me to pick a seven and a half point underdog to win straight up, particularly when everything we've watched all season is is Michigan being a better team than UCLA. They're better offensively. They're better defensively. I think they got the best player on the floor in Hunter Dickinson. Although, if you wanted to counter argument Johnny Juzang, I'd at least listen to that. I, UCLA has beaten some good teams to get here, Alabama, obviously, but I don't know that they've beaten anybody like Michigan to get here. And I, you know, I, I'm glad that Juwan finally cleared that up with a Michigan alum, by the way, Tracy Wolfson, that, that Isaiah Livers is done for the season. It just eliminates, we don't have to wonder anymore. Although I wasn't really wondering. I don't think you were either. We kind of assumed he wasn't playing again, but still like now that question doesn't have to be asked anymore. If it, if, if it, if it weren't settled, somebody would ask it tomorrow on a Zoom call with Juwan. So he's just eliminated that. Isaiah Levers is done. This is our team. And I, I thought that would matter, and it still might matter, but my, it hadn't mattered yet. It hadn't mattered yet. They looked great against Florida State. I'm assuming they'll look great again. I, I think Michigan wins the game, but I'll take, I'll take at this point, I'll take UCLA at plus seven and a half. You know, on a surface level, this should be easy. You got a one seed against an 11 seed. You know, let's not let's not spend too much time on it. But once you've beaten Michigan State and BYU and you know Alabama, uh, I promise you, uh, you know, you those UCLA players don't think they're in a tough spot against Michigan. They 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 feel like they can go win the game, and maybe they can. I don't know that I'll pick them to do that, but but I'll pick them to cover the seven and a half. If they were to pull the upset. Uh, or if USC was to pull the upset, or if Oregon State was to pull the upset, you would have... I mean, you, you realize we could have a USC-UCLA, in theory, Final Four. I know, I know, I know. We'll see. But what I'm getting at here is, if if any of those upsets were to happen in the regional finals, uh, it would officially, in terms of how the NCAA defines it, would be the most upset-riddled tournament ever. Right now, we are at 13 upsets, five spots or uh, discrepancy or worse after what we saw happen on Sunday. And we have three opportunities to get to a 14th on Monday and Tuesday. We'll have to wait and see how that all plays out. A reminder, if you are not already locked in on CBS Sports HQ, uh, I've been on all weekend. I will continue to be on all this week, we're, we got an, uh, just an incredible set. GP and I will actually be, listen, man, it's going to be more than just you and me walking on the sidewalks here because the CBS Sports Network set and the CBS Sports HQ set are practically, we're in the same plaza. So all throughout the week, mornings, middays, evenings, previews, reactions, all that good stuff. If you're not already locked in on CBS Sports HQ, please be sure to do so on any connected device and on any streaming provider that you might have, CBS Sports HQ is where you can get the most information and coverage of this year's NCAA tournament and Final Four. Yes, it could be still be the most upset-riddled Final Four we've ever had. More likely, we're going to get three number one seeds and uh, a number two. Do you realize in these four Elite Eight games, the higher-seeded team is favored, obviously, but like by seven and a half points at least 
every one of these games is not supposed to be competitive in the final minute. So I, I'm not predicting that. I, I think we will have competitive games in the final minute. But like if this thing goes the way it's supposed to go, we're going to have Baylor, Houston, Gonzaga, Michigan, three number one seeds and a one and a two seed, which is you know what I predicted after the round of 32. I said, I know it's been chaotic, but I think when we get to the final four, it's going to look about the way we always thought it would look. We are now officially through the Sweet 16 and, and, and one step closer to that actually being the case. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Lauren now. Thank you guys once again for listening. To the Ion College Basketball Podcast, middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Woo, boy. This one's something. It's been something else. I think everybody would agree with me. It's been something else. We got good news on the vaccination front. I'm fully vaccinated, man. Still been something else. I didn't see this one coming, dead leg. I didn't see it like this. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere. You subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. I know Norlanda would too. So please go do that. And we will talk to you again after Monday night's game. Woo! Till then, take care.